Hello and welcome to the Perlu Podcast, Influencer Marketing Reimagined, a podcast where we chat with influencer marketing professionals, social media influencers, bloggers, YouTubers, podcasters, you name it, about what has led to their success. I'm your host, Alexis Trammell. Today, we're speaking with Andrew Schwab, the U.S. Vice President of Influencer Relations and Business Affairs at Edelman. He is leading the digital and influencer efforts across North America and providing oversight on strategic partnerships, talent buys, negotiations, contracting, and business affairs council. Andrew educates brands on the digital and influencer space and driving integrated campaigns to market. During his influencer marketing career, Andrew has worked with some of America's top brands, from Calvin Klein, Ford, and Marriott to Ikea and Nickelodeon. If you like today's episode, we hope you sign up for Perlu to learn more about how you can grow your influencer marketing career. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Thank you. Happy to be here. How have you seen strategic partnerships with influencers evolve over the years? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because even separate and apart from, from Edelman, where I am now, the influencer marketing space, kind of the digital side of it, what we were seeing, I think it was around 2012, we would see brands want to work with celebrities, which had most of the numbers on the social media platforms at that time. And really the, the span of the services at that time was a one-off post on Facebook, uh, and it was an organic post, no, no real paid media. And that, that was the extent of the partnership. And at that time, the actual fans that were seeing the posts, you know, the algorithms are different these days, but at least over 50% of a person's following was seeing these, these posts. And so you could do an organic one-off post and that was your campaign. <laughs> and that was, that was the extent of it. And, you know, now fast forward to, to, to what we're seeing these days. I mean, you're seeing top tier influencers partner with brands to make exclusive product lines. There's launch parties, there's exclusive drops, all those kind of fun things. And it's awesome to be able to see this, that, you know, we went from a kind of a one-off splash to being able to create different product lines with, with influential people and, and the fans are loving it. But, you know, from, from an Edelman perspective, we, we started really a lot more on the YouTube video side where we would create, you know, YouTube video with client product or, or any sort of different type of uh, mission that, that a client was trying to, to get out in the marketplace. And since then, we really believe in a very cohesive strategy with multiple different touch points. So not just a video, but we would like to do uh, an SMT media day. We would like to do a dinner. We're going to be doing social media content. And then we're wrapping that all up with earned media outreach. And then we also have paid media behind it. So as you can tell, it's just, it's, it's gotten a lot more strategic in the way that we hit the market uh, paid, uh, earned, owned uh, type of media out there. Absolutely. When you take this holistic approach, how do you measure the success? Like, how can you know whether it was the the paid media, the earned media, the influencer themselves that really drove the success, or do you just attribute it to the entire program? Well, if we look at the different components that that you actually just brought up, and so by the time we get down to a wrap report for our client, we look at the different places that we spent the money. And so, you know, if it was organically on an influencer, we know that we yielded these type of results. And, and we're asking influencers these days to help us understand how well their content did. And so things like the insights data on Instagram posts, like we really need to have screenshots of that data if they are not authenticated into our, our network to where we're already seeing that data. We take 
for instance, that kind of data. So the organic mixed with how well we did on paid and then also with the earned to figure out here's the snapshot for our client about how we did. And then from there, it's all based on really the KPI of what the client wants. I mean, some clients merely want click-throughs. They want to make sure that they got eyeballs onto a certain page, or it could be, we want people in store. And so from there, you know, it's a very different strategy where we would hire maybe more regional micro-influencers or even nano-influencers to generate very localized market interests. So it really depends. But we essentially, we look at every single facet of that holistic campaign and we wrap it up together and give our clients a very accurate screenshot of what exactly happened. Awesome. That's cool. You and I have talked a little bit about how important it is to establish and cultivate real relationships with influencer partners, even though this takes a lot of time and energy and Relationship building at scale just sounds daunting, especially to new brands. Could you explain the benefits of this approach to listeners and the cost-benefit of analysis of true influencer partnerships? Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it really kind of boils down to time. You know, the, the whole business and, and especially from our end from a PR company, it's really based on how much time we're spending. And what I found out specifically and what our company sees is the extra time that we take to develop and kind of cultivate the relationships through the people we're working with is really kind of become part of the success that we've had because the more that we get to know somebody on a deeper level and and know how they work and how quickly they can turn around content, or maybe I just only need to give a brief to somebody and they can come back with a fully fleshed out concept. It's just way more beneficial for us to enter into another relationship when we know that we can trust them. And and that's kind of the second piece of it is is it, it boils down to time and trust. From a cost perspective, I mean, it, again, it's, it's time. It, it takes a little bit longer to get to know somebody and kind of have a phone call and learn their interests and, and those kind of good fun things. But the benefit is, is purely the fact that we end up being able to trust a creator a little bit more. I mean, you, you guys wouldn't be any stranger to this. I mean, you know how many creators there are now in the marketplace. It used to be very kind of small select. Uh, group of folks and and call it like 2012. And now there's thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people. And the more that we end up being able to trust somebody, we can trust them when we put them in the hands of our client to create great content and really be a storyteller for our brand. I, I think it, it's, it's definitely worth it in the long run for us. Absolutely. I'm glad that you bring that up. So I'm, I'm curious how, how does your team choose when you're going to go with a celebrity and when you're going to work with micro influencers? And do you, do you find that those micro influencers are the type of content creators who can take a brief and just turn something wonderful and fleshed out around to you? Yeah, so it's a great question. There, there is so many different nuances between going with a celebrity versus a a micro influencer, and and really kind of a, a theme that I'll have throughout this whole discussion is it really just depends on our clients' KPIs. And um, so going one way or the other is 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 really a, a based on the client's KPIs. But we would say, if budget permits, I would always recommend a blended strategy. So we're going to have either top tier influencer or a celebrity. And we're also going to have micro influencers as well, because not only does it hit different parts of the market, it hits different considerations for what the client needs. So, you know, you have your massive awareness versus maybe you have the local push 
And for some of our clients, that's part of the strategy. They they want to have the nation understand that, hey, we've got this new thing, but we also want you to go into the store and buy it. <laughs> we also want you to go in the store and think about it. And so we, we find that we we blend them. But when it comes to, to creation, typically what I would say is that you know, your influencer in general, and especially the, the micro-influencers, they got their start by being either a little bit different or created great content on their own. And so we really like working with influencers and micro-influencers because a lot of times we can give them a sandbox to play in and they bring us something back really awesome. The difference with hiring maybe a celebrity only is, is that we would typically want to have a little bit of production behind it just to ensure that the polished asset comes out exactly like we want to. So it, it kind of changes the the overall campaign when we have to bring in a celebrity because we want to ensure that we can help bring out the best creative. It's not to say either one's better or not than the other. It's just kind of once you get into the fact that you want to hire somebody like that, you want to make sure that the content is, is the prettiest that it can be in market. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what are some of the struggles you've encountered when trying to find the right content creators within influencer marketing communities? You know, back back when there were just databases, and there still are, but, you know, a lot of the, the technology solutions, you know, early on were just built as a visual database. And, you know, you type in the word travel or something, and they would come up with a whole bunch of different people who could be classified as, as travel influencers. But there wasn't really enough or wasn't a lot of soul to it other than it was a place that you could identify people, but it wasn't something that gave really a lot of why you would want to work with them. And so that's that little extra context again is why you'd ask about why it makes sense to develop those deeper relationships. Well, that's part of the reason why it's harder to trust and and to want to put somebody in front of our brands if we didn't know anything about them. And so we'd have to go and still, do our research and, and go back and, and review three to six months worth of content to ensure that they'd be the right person to put in front of our client. But really it was finding people that could create the content we were looking for and not have to go through multiple rounds and, and really just be great people, great storytellers for our client. Awesome. What is your best advice for an influencer who wants to work with an agency like Edelman long-term? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, what we really like to hear from people and know from people is some of the great stuff that they've been working on separate from from any of the partnerships we've done with them. We always like to know separate campaign, sponsored campaigns or whether they'd be interested in a certain cause and they're creating content for it. We like to be kept in the know about the cool things that people are doing. It's a thing where, you know, you have a contact to through us, through someone like your platform, or they know some of the people that work at the company, but we like to see the different types of partnerships that, that they're working on. Again, it, it allows us to know how they are working in the marketplace, what they could do if we were going to hire them and, and those kind of good fun things. But I would say that from there, another one that's kind of come up lately and that we're really following is just a general willingness to be more transparent about what's going on behind the curtains. And so I, I brought this up earlier, which is things like insights data. Again, if the influencer is not already authenticated into our network, we're really making sure that we know kind of the true performance of the posts. And this is across all platforms to make sure that 
we're actually hitting the right people to make sure the audience is lining up with what we need for our client and those kind of things of that sort. And so I think working with Edelman, one thing that will always come up is that we will want to know, again, audience data, uh, insights data, and other things to make sure that we are casting the right sort of talent and influencers for our client. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Perlu members, please take note. You need to make sure that all of your accounts are integrated on Perlu so that these agencies have context in what you're working on right now. That's awesome. Thank you for, thank you for mentioning that. Of course. We surveyed some of our Perlu members and uh, we got uh, quite a few questions back for what we'd like to ask you during this interview. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most common questions was, how do you recommend that influencers determine what to charge brands for campaigns? Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. We, we get asked this a lot in a, in a lot of different settings. And I like it because I hope that it's being brought up so that all parties can can price on, on on a fair basis because we see a lot of numbers that are given to us that don't really have a reason behind them and and that's we don't want to accuse anybody or anything of that sort but if somebody comes to us and tells us it's five thousand dollars for a post you, you know we we need to know why you feel that way and we we break it down when we speak to our clients and in, in, in two different ways there's an art side of the approach and there's a science part of the approach and from the science part, really all we mean are, are, are simple equations for a baseline. And it's not anything that we use. It's not like this plus this equals this number and that's, that's the rate. There's, there's so much more to it. But from a general sense, what we look at is uh, engagement. We look at the certain types of engagements that are going on. You know, our clients are going to want to use their marketing dollars and spend it towards an actual engagement that's going to come out of it. And so we will look at various different platforms with some kind of proprietary knowledge and the amount of deals that we've done. Let's say it's on YouTube and let's say the V30 on YouTube is X number and we are in this type of industry, then the baseline could be this CPE. And so from there we decide, okay, that's the baseline. However, that does not account for the basically art side of the equation, which is, how long are we asking for a talent to be exclusive for? Who's owning the content? Where is that content going to be used? Is it only on social media, only digital channels? Was it going to be shared at events? You know, wh where does that content really going? Is there going to be paid media behind it? You know, you, you have all of these separate types of considerations that there is no equation for all of those things we just spoke about, the exclusivity and, and the, the paid media use and, and all of those fun things. And so what we end up doing is, is we have basically some, some analysis towards a lot of the past deals we've done and, um, and we use them towards creating basically what is a fair price. So in general, to, to kind of boil it down, we look at engagement rates to ensure that the cost for engagement falls in a specific range that we feel comfortable in. And then from there, we do that across all platforms, whether it be a blog post. So we want to know the unique monthly views. If it's YouTube, we're going to look at the average viewership of each video over the course of three months, those kind of fun things. And then another way we'll look at it, it goes back to what I brought up before, the insights data, like on an Instagram post, for instance. So what are the, what's the average impressions and the average engagement on the average reach that's happening per each post over the course of the last three months? And so we, we will ask for that data to ensure that we are paying what's fair uh, in order to 
uh, enter into a partnership together. Awesome. Yeah, totally makes a lot of sense. Could you tell us about a time when an influencer marketing program had a particularly excellent return on your investments? Yeah, of course. Uh, I've got a couple of different ones. I'm not able to share the client name, but I can definitely share a lot of the success behind it. So one of them we had was with a company, a technology company, where we were really starting to experiment with uh, TikTok, uh, which TikTok is fun. And you know, a lot of people are, are expanding over to TikTok and, and trying it out. And I heard some sort of success metric from them that stated that our campaign that we did in the spring was to date the most effective and the highest viewed campaign, branded campaign on the platform to date. And that's coming from TikTok. And so... As you can imagine, our, our client is, is very, very happy about that. The amount of yeah. views and the amount of talent that we had, there was a event part of the experience involved, a lot of UGC. I mean, in, in, in our opinion, you know, when we start getting fans to create something as well, we, we see a lot of great performance, which kind of leads me into my, my second example. So we, we had another campaign that was probably about a year ago at this point where it was one of the things that we had creators, we gave them a sandbox to kind of play in, like I've alluded to before. And they were artists and they were influencers and, and they were creators. What we did is gave them a brief and then basically called for their fans to also get the brief as well, download it, and then create based off of what is being asked. And the end of this campaign, we had, I think it was over 12,000 briefs that were downloaded. The success in the campaign of actually new subscriptions paid for itself and more. Wow. Um, and then we, we also had like 25 earned media placements secured for top tier media. It was just a very successful campaign for us. And, and I think it really, when, when we look back on it, not only can you see it in the numbers and the actions, which we're, we're obviously very focused on is to ensure that all of our content that we create for our client drives action. It was a, UGC play that we find that UGC done well can just start a movement. And when you get people engaging and, and getting fans to to also kind of create like the influencers themselves, it just it creates a very positive environment for people to work off each other and it further spreads that message. That is so cool. Wow. User generated content making it viral. That's amazing. What are some common misconceptions you've noticed clients have regarding influencer marketing programs? Yeah, we, we see this a lot. And, and this, is, this is even with clients who are seasoned in, in influencer marketing. It's really the, the length of setup time with these programs. And what I mean by that is it's not necessarily the time from selling in an idea to, to, to getting the paperwork signed. It's more of casting the right talent and influencers. That's really what we're alluding to. It's, it's something where we, and, and I personally don't like to cast a, a quick group of people without really understanding more about them. And so um, that phase, sometimes the, the research and identification takes a little bit longer than I think clients would like to know or, or like to have to have to wait on, but um, typically we see the results at the end when we have great content or like we just discussed things like UGC, we, we see it come out at the end and the results. But a really large one for us is that casting the right people and, and doing the outreach itself sometimes can take a lot longer than clients ex expect. And, you know, if, if a client's looking to get content in market two and a half, three weeks from now, that's, that's obviously 
very tough for us to do. And, and we, we absolutely will get it done. But we spend a lot of time in that casting period that could catch clients off guard. And, and, th- and there's other things such as production costs um, usually catch them off guard. Rising influencer costs. I mean, we, we've noticed, you know, over the last five years or so, prices have fluctuated and, and, and are all over the place. Sometimes campaigns, if they worked with us three years ago, will be more expensive for the same type purely because the, the amount that talent that are demanding has, has increased. So that's, that's a huge consideration. And then I'd say probably the last thing for our clients is, and, and this is kind of the industry in general, a lot of it, it it's become, become very pay to play as far as getting eyeballs on content and, you know, purely organic posts don't work as well as they used to, as, as we've touched on. You've got to run some paid media behind the content in order to really make sure that that message pops. I think now knowing that you must have a layer of paid media under every single organic post, I think it's something a little bit newer. It's, it's not anything that really catches people off guard, but I think a lot of times knowing that you can't solely rely off organic anymore catches some people off surprise. But anyway, those, those are some of the things that we're, we're seeing from our side. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so you're trying to tell me that you don't know every single influencer that exists in this world right now? <laughs> uh, no, you know, <laughs> no, I, I, I wish I did. We'd be even better at identifying talent. <laughs> but we try our best. We really love to be able to, not only do you try and discover and, and, and know influencers and know that there's some really great people and you want to continue working with them. We also want to learn and know even newer people we didn't know about before. And that's one thing that's been very crazy in this industry that you kind of knew 2012, 2013, even 2014, you kind of knew the players in the space. And then 2015 and on, I mean, it just exponentially grew. And there'll be people still today that, that I'll look up. Someone's like, have you heard of so-and-so? No, I haven't. And I'll look them up and they have uh, a crazy following. They're really engaged. Uh, their fans are really engaged and their content's beautiful. And I think one thing I, w- I want to say is, is we always love to find those new partnerships and, and um, we're never not discovering. So um, funny you bring that up. I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I do quite a lot more than I did, but it's very hard to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you mention the fact that there were so fewer players back in 2012. And then now today you see the the rise in cost of influencer marketing. And it's most likely because, you know, these influencers, they're growing their careers and they're, you know, they're networking, they're, they're growing their audiences, engaging more and more every day. And you're discovering a new influencer every day. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's awesome. Then you always think about. So where do you foresee influencer marketing going in 2020? Yeah, this is a, this is a fun question. And we're actually working on the digital trends report that we put out for Edelman every year. And we're, we're working on this as we speak. And I can share a, a few things right now that I think a lot of people would probably agree on. And again, we have a full report coming. But one of the first things that it, it came up in, in 2018, for sure, and it's been a consideration all throughout this year for us specifically, I think it's going to continue to get even deeper, uh, which I encourage, is really authenticity, transparency, and, and the whole kind of fake follower discussion. That's a very, very large consideration for us as we source talent, just to make sure that we, we, the goal here for us is to, is to hire storytellers. We want to hire people that their interests align 
with our clients' interests. And you, you can always tell it when it comes out in the content. And so I think as more brands start to spend more money in this space, and there's more and more rise of influencers, there's just going to be a, a deeper focus on, on really the authenticity behind the, the content and the person itself that's being created and really taking the health of the audience that follows those talent and influencers. And so um, that's definitely one of the larger things that's going to continue to be a, a consideration in a lot of people's minds. Another thing we're starting to see is influencers are casting a wider net into different content mediums. And what I mean by that is we're seeing influencers that maybe were YouTubers uh, starting to experiment with Twitch or Mixer or podcasts, for instance, um, and even things like TikTok. And Instagram, as we all know, has really come out dominant as far as not only the platform that a lot of sponsored posts are happening on, but just people in general, uh, mostly predominantly will use Instagram as a social media platform. But I think we're starting to see that different types of content mediums influencers will experiment with. And a lot of it has to do with video and live content is really taking a precedence right now. Static photo content is, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But I, I think that in the content ADHD per, per se, or, or the way that people are viewing content these days, how quickly we're, we're scrolling through content and we see something and move on. Photos are not becoming as great of a storytelling device. And so we're seeing a lot of video content. We're seeing a lot of live content, which again, live content's interesting because it it's, it's actually a little bit more authentic when it comes into the content because it's not as maybe edited and dolled up and, and those kind of fun things, but we're definitely seeing those kind of things. And then the third thing, which isn't necessarily a fun topic, but we, we really take, take pride in, in following and, and understanding the rules here, but we're seeing a lot of stuff happening with data privacy and just general compliance type of activities that are happening. And so there's, there's different laws changing in California soon. And really making sure that when we're working, working together with, with talent influencers that we really understand how we're exchanging private data and, and how it should be handled. And not only are we doing that, I think the industry is going to initially take an eye to that and make sure that these companies are telling the influencers and the brands how exactly we're using each other's information to make sure that everybody's safe and private. Those are kind of three things that, that we're seeing. But again, we've got a full report coming out. Awesome. Awesome. Excited to see it. I hope you send that our way. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure hearing from you on behalf of Edelman. Yeah, of course. Again, happy to be here. We love, again, speaking out to the market and, and talking with, with all things related to Influencer and, and I'm glad to uh, spend the time with you guys. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Andrew Schwab, the U.S. Vice President of Influencer Relations and Business Affairs at Edelman. If you like our show and are interested in what it takes to succeed in influencer marketing, check out our blog at blog.perlu.com for more podcasts and blog posts. And sign up for Perlu at perlu.com to meet, mingle, connect, collaborate, and grow your career. We hope you join us for our next installation of the Perlu podcast, Influencer Marketing Reimagined.